Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. Good to be with you. Good to be in worship this morning. Uh, I am uh, I'm so thankful for Sunday mornings because I, I come with a sense of expectation. I honestly, I believe deep in my heart, God knew who was going to be here this morning. God planned it. God wants to speak directly to each and every one of us. Uh, and that when we enter into worship together, it's not a matter of ritual and routine. It's a matter of drawing close to God with expectation. And I think God responds to that faith and that expectation, uh, and God wants to speak into our lives. I, I honestly look forward just deep in my heart to Sunday mornings every week, uh, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Um, we're continuing in a series this morning. We've been in a series of teachings uh, called Love, Sex, and the Text. And we've been looking at relationships and intimacy. Uh, if you're here for the first time this morning and, you've, and you're now wondering what on earth is going on at this church, you can go back to the podcast at reallife.la and see what we've covered so far because today we're going to round out that series. Uh, we're uh, uh, looking at... Um, uh, relationships, and as you know, I, I have I have thoughts that I want to share with you. We're going to dive into God's Word this morning, but I always like to ask your opinion on some critical issue of theology and spirituality first. So you got to make sure you have the app on your phone. We have a free app, a free real life app that you got to have on your phone because we do a survey uh, uh, often on Sunday mornings. The way to get the app is if you send a text to, and here's my phone number seven seven nine seven seven. Okay, that's my phone number. If you send a text to 77977 with the letters, there's four letters, you have to type it R-L-L-A, which stands for Real Life Los Angeles. So if you text the letters R-L-L-A to 77977, you'll get a text back, and then I'll explain to you how to download our app really quick, and then you can take our little surveys that we play around with here on Sunday mornings. So here's the survey of the day. Many of you have already gotten this and chimed in on it, and you could follow along in real time and see, what the, uh, see how the, the survey is going if you want to. Uh, the question for this morning is, uh, deep spiritual theological issue, churches are divided over this one. If you chip a plate at your house, do you A, throw it away? No, as A, do you keep using it? Do you keep using it because, hey, it's just a chip? Drink out of the other side of the glass, right? B, do you throw it away? Or C, do you put it out at a garage sale because your trash is somebody else's treasure? So that's, that's the question. That's the deep theological question of the morning. If you chip a, a plate or a dish or a glass, do you A, keep using it, B, throw it away, C, put it out at the garage sale? I want to know what you think, and you can watch what your peers are doing in real time. Trust me, there's a reason for these things. I'm not just goofing around. But that's our question for this morning, and uh, with that, uh, let's go to uh, God in prayer and ask him to bless our studies this morning. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you did prepare a place for us here. I thank you that you have called us here, that we're not here by accident, but by your will. And I ask that you would speak into the hearts of those who are expectant, who are uh, wanting you and needing you, who are listening for you. God, may we hear your voice in real and surprising ways. 
And for those who are hiding from you uh, in plain sight this morning, those who are afraid to step into your presence, God, whisper your deep love into their hearts. Assure them, assure them nothing will compromise your love for us. May they know how deeply you want to reconnect with them, uh, how deeply you want them to understand your love. Uh, God, speak into the hearts of those who, uh, who honestly are keeping you at arm's length. Uh, only your love can cross that bridge. Uh, and I pray you do that in our hearts this morning. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as many of you know, here at Real Life Church, we are going through a series of studies in our small groups. We have small groups that meet in homes all over the surrounding cities. And uh, most of us are going through a, a curriculum called Rooted. Uh, if, you're, if you don't know what that is, if you're here for the first time, Rooted is this, this, uh, this transformative small group experience where every day you read a passage from the Bible and you write some notes on it, spend about 10 minutes of the day or so uh, reflecting on a passage of scripture. And then you get together with your little small group once a week, this is eight or 10 people in a home, uh, kind of just sharing life together, life and food, life and good food. And, uh, and uh, you kind of talk about the, the things that you've read and, and written over the course of the last week. And then there's some immersive faith experiences that are part of the curriculum. So Rooted is kind of a neat way to learn the Christian faith by trying it out, by, by diving in. Uh, and growing as you experience it. And uh, a lot of us started this uh, a week ago. If, you're, if you haven't gotten in and you still want to, there's still a little window of time that you can sign up for Rooted. But uh, a lot of us are in week two. And week two, uh, if you read it, is about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And for a lot of us, that's old news. We already know. Like if you've been going to Sunday school your whole life, you've read the Bible, you're going to church, you, you know who Jesus is. But what's neat about Jesus is sometimes you realize you didn't totally get him. Like you understood a lot of him or you understood a cross section of him, but suddenly Jesus will surprise you and will turn out to be different than you expected. Often better, often better than you expected. Uh, you ever had that experience where you, you thought you knew what somebody was like and then they do something that thro throws you off? I remember when I was 17 and I got my first speeding ticket. I was going like 55 through this neighborhood and the police officer pulled me over and he's kind of angry and I was terrified. And I'm thinking on the way home, I'm thinking my parents are going to kill me. My dad is going to kill me. I got a speeding ticket. He's going to take my license away. And so uh, I get home and so I go tell my mom first because I figure she's going to be the more gentle touch. And I tell my mom that I got a speeding ticket. And so she calls my dad at work and puts me on the phone with him. And like, here it comes, here it comes. And my dad goes, yeah, that happens. Don't worry about it you think you know a guy. And I'm like, who are you? And what have you done with my father? And, uh, and, uh, and, and sometimes you'll, you'll think you'll know someone. You think you'll know how, you think you're, you know how they're going to react. And then you experience them and they throw you off guard. They do something unexpected. I find that that's often true with Jesus because people grow up with expectations for how Jesus is. And often people grow up with a God who they anticipate will be disappointed in them. Uh, they think Jesus is still up there on the cross suffering for their sins and he just wants them to know how much it hurts and so stop sinning. And a lot of people grow up, they hear that from the priest and they think that's the way faith and life 
are. Uh, I remember when I was a kid hearing this Baptist preacher, and I, I love the Baptists. I married a Baptist, uh, and I only harassed them because of how much they harassed me in my younger years. But I, I remember this Baptist preacher talking about, I hope that when you're, you sin, you can hear Jesus cries from the cross. And I thought, what a terrible thing to tell a teenager. It doesn't make me want to sin. It makes me not want to go to church anymore. And, um, and a lot of us grow up with this sense that there's, there's a God who's still suffering and disappointed in us. That's not who God is. Not even close. Everybody say, not even close. Not even close. That's not who God is. God is the God who loves us and runs to embrace us. And when we are broken and when we have sinned, he wants us to know all the more how deep his love for us is. God is not waiting for the opportunity to be mad at you. God is waiting for the opportunity to take you back. Uh, Now, my dad did not get mad at me when I got that speeding ticket because it turns out a week before that, he had gotten a speeding ticket himself. And so he really wasn't in a position to say anything. When, When Jesus doesn't come at us in a rage, it's because that's who God is. The greatest parable Jesus ever taught was about a a son who takes his father's money and he goes and he spends it on prostitutes and parties. And when he is, he's absolutely poor, he goes home with nothing to offer. And his dad embraces him and takes him back. And his dad doesn't go through a long litany of all the things you did wrong. And a dad doesn't pull out the, the behavior contract on how you better improve or else you're out. God runs, the father runs and takes the son back. And no matter how broken your life has been, no matter how broken your life is today, nothing stands in the way of the God who is running to take you back. That's who God is. And so that we would know that, Jesus stepped down on the earth, God and man, to show us how much he loved us. If you're on that edge of faith, if you've never taken that step over the line and said, I think I do want to follow Jesus, just know he is waiting to run and embrace you. Why would you wait? Why would you hold off from that? He's the God who stepped down in history so that we could see in tangible, fleshy form how much he loved us. Um, I remember um, a woman who, I I knew her in her adult years, uh, but when she was uh, a little girl, um, her parents divorced and her dad uh, moved out of the home uh, and she, she missed her daddy. Uh, and then as she got a little bit older but was still a child, uh, another man um, took advantage of her and uh, did things to her that left scars on her heart. And so when she was a teenager, she started dating a boy who pressured her for sex. And she uh, said yes uh, and uh, did not have the vocabulary to describe it but was looking for a healthy experience of intimacy to replace the broken memories. He very quickly thereafter broke up with her and told everybody in the school what he had done. When she got to college, she became very promiscuous and went from boy to boy to boy, looking for someone to love her and accept her. And with each relationship, she just felt more ashamed. She felt like there was nothing there worth saving. Eventually, she got engaged to a guy who she thought would be the one. And she kept her past secret because she was afraid of how he would react. Uh, But as they were dating, as they were engaged and getting closer to the 
marriage, her conscience got the best of her and she told him. And he was confused and he was disoriented, kept running through the tapes in his mind and uh, he called off the engagement. She now entered her adult years afraid that if she ever found a man who would love her, he would just be waiting for the opportunity to leave. A lot of people suspect that God is like that, that husband who when he finds out how bad you are, he will pack up and leave. A lot of us grow up with the anticipation that God is like the father who's waiting to move out of the house and leave us behind. And all kinds of things feed into that, that broken image of God. That's not who God is. Not even close. God is the God who longs to embrace us and restore us and who will not leave us and who will not let us push him away. God will pursue us to our dying day and nothing will change that. My friend, as an adult, found the God who loved her, who was better than any man she had ever met. And she embraced Jesus, and Jesus embraced her. And she now teaches Sunday school at her church, and she counsels young women who have been abused. And God is working redemption and health out of a story that was so hard. Nothing puts us in a place where God will stop loving us. Nothing puts us in a place where God is so disappointed in us that he's just going to keep going back to the things that we've done wrong. In fact, the Bible describes how God views our, our brokenness and our sinfulness. When we, when we turn to God and when we embrace him, there's a, a passage in Psalm 103, a very quoted passage uh, from the Psalms. If you never read them, Psalms is this beautiful book of Hebrew poetry in the Bible. And in Psalm 103, there's a passage that describes what God does with our brokenness, with our sinfulness, when we embrace him. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When you love Jesus and when you follow Jesus, he doesn't dote on your sins waiting for a chance to remind you of them. He puts them as far away from you and from him as the east is from the west, impossibly far away, forgotten. Jesus went to the cross to take your metaphysical guilt off of you, the actual guilt that you carry for having done, th done things wrong. He takes that away from you. But he also wants to take away your psychological guilt that sense of shame and embarrassment that you carry around, that weighs you down, that stops you from getting to that next place that God wants from you. He wants to take that psychological guilt away from you too and truly set you free. That's the promise of the gospel. That's who our God is. Our God does not want us living in brokenness. He wants to take all that away from us. He became a human being so that we could see that and he died on the cross so as to take it away from us. Why would you sit on the edge of that wondering whether or not that's for you? That's the best thing there is. Now, sometimes we just don't get it. 
And so the Bible goes through stages of teaching. This is for you teachers out there. There's a lot of teachers in this generation. There's good stages of teaching here. First, we can describe it in words. And description in words is one of the lowest forms of communication, right? God loves you and forgives you. That's a fact. I can describe it in words. But the Bible likes to then use word pictures to capture things, to, to draw pictures, to paint stories so that we, we understand. Because you can live into metaphors and stories a little bit than you than, a little bit more than you live into uh, descriptions. And so the, the parable of the prodigal son, of the, the son who runs away and wastes his father's money and then comes back with nothing and is embraced by the father, that's a, a beautiful word picture that Jesus crafts. Because stories like that get closer to our heart than just the, just the words. But God knows, that we're, God knows that we're fleshy creatures. God knows that we're tangible things. God knows that we're physical things. And so he likes to give us physical object lessons that makes it all the more clear what he means. God becoming a human being in Jesus Christ is the best object lesson in history. It's the best physical object lesson in history. And throughout the Bible, over and over again, there are moments where God uses physical illustrations to communicate effectively what he, what he means and how deep his love for us uh, really is. And one of those is in a, a book in the, our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, called Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. And a prophet is somebody who hears from God and then tells everybody what God is saying. And often the prophets lived weird and wild lives because God would t tell them to do weird things to capture the imagination of God's people. And so, uh, so this, is, this is the process. Went. The description was, God's people are often unfaithful and God loves us all the same. The word picture was, and this, this is throughout the Bible, this runs over and over again, God's people are often like an adulterous wife who cheats on her husband, and God is like a groom who comes and takes his wife back, never stops loving her, doesn't reject her, doesn't move on. He goes chasing after the unfaithful wife, right? Word picture that captures it. With Hosea, God decided he was going to give us a physical living object lesson of his love. And so God said to Hosea, you're going to marry a woman who's going to cheat on you over and over and over again. In fact, you're going to have to, to pay money to get her back. You're going to have kids and you're going to give them difficult names that capture God's relationship to humanity and humanity's relationship to run away. But you're going to love her all the same. And in you're taking her back and you're reclaiming her and loving her, you're going to act out my love for humanity so that everybody can see it. Um, I can only imagine what that conversation with Hosea must have been like, right? The, the, when God told Hosea, here's how this is going to go down, right? So Hosea, you remember when I sent those uh, two guys in the neckties to your front door and they knocked on your front door and they, uh, they read you the four spiritual laws and told you, smile, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes, Lord, I remember that. That was wonderful. That's why I follow you now. It's a beautiful moment. Thank you for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you remember how I told you that you're going to be blessed to be a blessing and uh, those who uh, rest in the Lord will renew their strength and uh, I'm going to give you an abundant life. You remember all that? Yes, Lord, I love your promises. I trust in your promises. That's great. Okay, well, don't shoot the messenger here, but there's a little change here that's coming down from headquarters, and I'm just passing this on to you. Wait a minute, Lord, aren't you the headquarters? Don't ask questions. I'm passing this on down for you. Here's how the story's going to go now. You're going to marry a woman who cheats on you a whole bunch of times, and in fact, the last time when she's off with some other guy, you're actually going to have to go and give that guy money to let her come back to you. That's how this is going to go down. 
That's not what I signed up for, Lord. I, that's not, I don't think that's how that's supposed to go. Well, no, but the good news is that you're going to get some beautiful children out of this. Well, well yeah, I would, I'd love to have a next generation. I've even got the names picked out for boys. You know, I love, uh, yeah, about the names. Yeah, I got to tell you about that too. Again, don't, don't shoot the messenger. I got some names picked out for you already. You're just going to have to take the names. Okay, Lord, what are the names you have? Well, the first one you're, you're going to name, I don't love you. Okay, so that's, first is I don't love you. Second one is you're not mine. And then the third one you're going to name after this valley where a lot of people were killed. It's basically you know, like Waterloo. You're going to name the kid Waterloo. So you're going to have, I don't love you, you're not mine, and Waterloo are going to be your three cute little kids. If it's okay with you, Lord, I think I'm going to be Hindu. Now, you're right, right, right? I mean, you can only imagine how that conversation must have gone down. But the, but the story of Hosea is a profound and beautiful and powerful one because Hosea lived out in his flesh. The love for a woman that is like God's love for us, that even when we are unfaithful, even when we run to other gods, even when we cheat on our God, nothing will make him leave us. Nothing will make him abandon us. Nothing will make him give up on us. There's nothing in your life right now there's, there's nothing for which you carry shame or guilt or embarrassment that God will not love you through. There's nothing that will make him give up on you. To your dying day, he is going to chase after you. Nothing will compromise that. What he wants is not for you to walk around feeling ashamed, feeling afraid to see him face to face. What he wants is for you to feel deep in your heart how much he wants you back. Jesus lived it out. Jesus practiced it. Jesus showed us what it was like. There's a story in the life of Jesus uh, about a woman who lived a, a broken life, a, a sexually broken life, and a, a life of bad relationships. And, and Jesus, Jesus went to reclaim her. Uh, and in doing this, Jesus modeled for us how he wants religious people to live in a broken world. This is in John chapter 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, which were like uh, religious lawyers of the day, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, if, uh, if Jesus says, no, leave her alone, don't, don't stone her to death, Jesus would be rejecting the law of Moses, would be rejecting the Bible. The, the, the Bible says, Deuteronomy, if somebody commits adultery, you're to stone them to death, no impurity in your community. And so the teachers of the law are right. And if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, he's taking a stand against God's law. And they can, they can capture him and arrest him. The people will see him as a heretic. On the other hand, if he stands with her, and he says, uh, if, he, if he stands against her, if he says, no, no, go ahead and stone her to death, you're right, that's what the law says, the people will run away. He has gathered around him a huge crowd of people who love how he loves them. He is the, the rabbi who touches lepers, who associates with traitors and Samaritans and prostitutes. He's the guy who loves everyone. And if he says, you're right, she deserves to be condemned, then the crowds will disperse. So the Pharisees have crafted a beautiful trap for him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. No matter how broken you and I are this morning, Jesus longs to stand beside us in the face of the condemnation of a good and righteous law and say, nobody's good enough to throw stones. I've seen a lot of people read this passage and the, the line that they highlight, the line they get excited about is, now go leave your life of sin. If that's the line you're drawn to, you're a Pharisee. You're a legalist and you don't understand the heart of God. That is not the passage to highlight in this, this section. That's not the line to highlight. The line that, to highlight in this section is, neither do I condemn you. That is the heart of this passage. Go and sin no more is a second thought which says, now because I am not condemning you, live a healthy life. Brokenness is its own punishment. We've all seen what happens when we live broken lives as we get older and learn how consequences work. The heart of this passage is that when you rightfully deserve condemnation, Jesus is not there to condemn you. Jesus is out to do something much more deep and rich in our brokenness. What he's doing is like a kind of artwork I saw uh, recently. If you, drop a, if you drop a dish or a plate or a vase, uh, you can go to restore it. You can have a professional artist restore it and get it close to where it started. You can restore it so that it, a bowl will still hold water even after it's shattered. They'll get epoxy out and they'll polish it and paint it and try to make it look as good as new. If you look closely, you can always see where the crack was. You can't quite make the crack disappear. You can still see that it's been restored. You can still see that there's, there's something broken in it. But there's a, a, a new kind of restoration uh, that exists. It's called kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form. And instead of trying to mask the cracks and hide them like they're some kind of dirty secret, the artist pours a melted gold into the cracks so that all along the patterns of the cracks, you now have this illuminated bright gold light. The, the cracks do not get hidden. The cracks become Beauty interwoven within beauty. Kintsugi art says that every piece of art, when used and broken, still has the capacity to be a masterpiece. And the brokenness that exists in your life and mine are not things that we need to hide so that we can fit in at church. They become the places where God's love gets poured into our lives in a unique way so that the mending itself is part of the beauty of who we are. Yes, it makes us more humble, 
but only because it makes him more great. So if you're at a place in your life where things have gotten broken and you know it, or you've patched things together and you've learned to hide the cracks really well, you can let go of that. Jesus wants to pour his love into our deepest and most broken places. And the mending will be what makes our lives beautiful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us when we're broken. I thank you that you come chasing after us when we have cheated on you and run away. I thank you that when we believe in the cross, all of our sins are taken away from us and has put as far from us as the east is from the west. And so by your grace and your love and your power, men broken hearts this morning. Men the hearts of those who have cheated and those who have been cheated on. Men the hearts of those who carry shame and guilt and feel guilty for the thought of letting go of it. God, pour your love like melted gold into our broken places. And make us something beautiful. As you do so, may our lives become great stories of your power to heal. That all the world would see and know how great is the love of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.